0: just that's why just winning a race is not always as satisfying because it you could sometimes win a race without much effort depending on competition but you can also sometimes like you know you can sometimes be the hundredth person and you have put in all uh, the effort you possibly can and mostly at least for me i feel that has been more rewarding the races that have gone by are not the tough ones, because I'm done with it. The tough ones are usually the ones that are coming up because I know if I'm doing a race six months from now, I have to also do six months of preparation every single day. And the painful times are in the moment, in the every single day, kind of on repetition and not in the race, mostly. I've had a lot of these, these same discussions in my own head over the years. And never once regretted doing this full time i have never once felt i wish i was doing a regular job like it's pretty much hard all the time it, almost everything i want to do like if i'm able to pull off one thing in the year that means i was trying to actually pull off four five other things and nothing worked out and that's the last thing that worked out so it still happens that way and half my year goes into just like, like i plan for three four things for the year and only one thing gets executed so it's still that way half the time i don't know where i'm going to get rent from next month but till now not a single day goes where i've Feel like I wish I was doing uh, a regular job and had like regular money coming in every month.
1: I am Baiki Winky and this is the Working Athlete Podcast. Here I talk to working athletes from all walks of life and experts from various sports to provide you with inspiration, training tips, time management and lifestyle advice. This is something that interests you. Please make sure you subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss any future episodes. Today's guest, Kiran Desouza, is one of the best ultra runners in India. It is difficult to put a tag like an ultra runner on him because he is much more than that. He finished second in his category at UTMB CCC in 2015. He is the first Indian to complete the 246 kilometers Patan in 2016. He also finished 7th in Aiger Ultra and set a course record at La Ultra the High, a 111 km race in Leh Ladakh. He is the first Indian to finish in top 100 at the Trail Running World Championships where he finished 98th overall in his second appearance at the event in 2018 more recently he has been making his own races by setting Fkt's or fastest known times with speed ascents of many peaks in the Himalayas in 2020 he set a speed ascent record of 5287 meter friendship peak in 11 hours 45 minutes and 50 seconds 6000 meter diotiba in 19 hours and 38 minutes triple trouble course of 126 kilometers in 18 hours, 58 minutes. For a normal human being like you and me, it would probably take somewhere between 4 to 7 days to do these things. He does those in matter of hours. He then went on to finish summiting 10 peaks, all of which were over 6,000 meters in 26 days. We'll probably need a separate episode to just list out all of his accomplishments. But he's someone who doesn't like talking about the past accomplishments, but want to focus on contributing to the future of sport in India. We recorded this when he was in Bangalore for a few days before he was flying off to take part in the 2022 Trail Running World Championships happening in Thailand. I'm really glad that we could make it happen. I hope you really enjoy this conversation. With that, let us get into my chat with Kiran. Welcome to the Working Athlete Podcast, uh, Kiran. It's a pleasure having you on the show.
0: Same here. Uh, Thank you for finally having me and I'm so glad I finally made it. I've seen your t-shirt earlier, the working athlete, and now I thought it's a cool t-shirt, but now it makes sense as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks. So um, I wanted to kind of first. Um, you know, start by saying that when I was researching for, uh, you know, having this conversation uh, with you about you and I I found so many uh, you know accomplishments that you have that I think it will take like 10 minutes to, you know, rattle out all those. But I want to hear all those from you. Uh, and, uh, you know, starting from you, you know the start of your journey and how it fr- progressed. So let's start by talking about, uh, you know, what was your relationship with sport, if any, as a kid?
0: Um, thank you. Firstly, appreciate that you you know, you think I have a lot of accomplishments, Uh, it's definitely humbling to keep you know, and to hear stuff like this. Um, Even though I don't think the same way about it. But thank you for, you know, beginning with that. Um, So to answer your question about my association with sport generally, right, like, growing up, I had access to sport, to some form of sport, mainly because of my dad being in the Air Force. So access to a lot of open areas and I was just active, uh, you know, couldn't sit in one place and just did a lot of sport. Nothing seriously enough, but everything that I could get my hands on. So I loved cycling. I love karate. I like football. I was I loved swimming, badminton, football. Um, sitting in the bunkers in the air force and in the grounds and all that like playing around in that like everything climbing up trees jumping out buildings like first floor buildings and all that i just enjoyed being out and being active so most of my childhood i've been fortunate to be able to have access to a lot of open spaces and a lot of different kind of open spaces because of where dad would get transferred to and i think that's i never now i mean growing up thought i would get into sports essentially. But I love sport. I don't think uh, I right now run a lot. But generally, I love sport, like, I can go and play football, and I'll have as much fun.
1: Right, right. So but uh, there you you said you, I mean, every you seem to have played like every sport uh, there is. Uh, but then what, uh, you know, how how did your foray into running kind of take uh, hold?
0: Uh, that mostly started because of the fact that once I got into college, uh, I realized that uh, most people's uh, priorities are not sport on being active. You have different priorities in college, and if you want to do team sports that I was always doing before that, you needed to have more than one person. Uh, running essentially became, became something I could do without needing to rely on someone and needing to rely to even equipment or facilities of any sort, right? I could just get out in the mornings or in the evenings and go for a run or do 10 laps on the football field in college. So it essentially started off that way.
1: Okay. So <clears throat> you uh, started running in college, right? So but uh, did it kind of immediately take uh, uh, shape of competitive running or how how did it uh, uh, progress? Um, so
0: mm-hmm. the first time I did uh the first time i started running was more for for a race in college so it started off with a competition sort of but uh i i continued doing it from there because i was enjoying it and i would even go for competitions but i would also enjoy running on a daily basis and looking forward to a competition like and like the tcs 10k and i used to run i remember races in mysore and everywhere uh so I, I didn't know that time, what's a good time, what's a, what are good numbers for 10Ks and half marathons or anything. And I did not have much uh, access to information, so I had no idea, um, but I was enjoying it. And I enjoyed, you know, going for races and the the work every day to deal to prepare for a race two months later. I enjoyed all of that.
1: So you basically enjoyed the process of, uh, you know, having a goal and working towards it. And then also the daily rigor of having something, uh, you know,
0: and something you look forward to constantly and to go to new places. And uh, like I did the race, the race in Delhi and like in 2011, like the uh, ADHM at a Delhi half, right. Mm -hmm. So did that back in 2011 and the fact that I could go to Delhi during my college break just to do that race and come back it was a fun experience
1: right, generally right right so your journey your running journey uh, started around uh, 2010 year? 2010 yeah. is when it started okay so from then on how did that progress uh, the running journey progress
0: yeah it did not progress the most gradually the way I, I, I now keep telling everyone the way it should progress for someone. I essentially started with the 10K, a year later did a half marathon and a year later did a 100K. So that was like within the first two years. Half marathon and then and a then 100K yeah, and within the I, two, I two years. The, I skipped the marathon and a 50 and 75 and everything. And yeah, so it was a little, it was fast with that. Mm. But after I did the 100K, it sort of eased out. I did not rush past 100 mm-hmm. I I hated the hundred k to begin with, and then loved the running, and then did a marathon and enjoyed running longer distances and doing more of that, and didn't feel the need to go past a hundred k until a few years later.
1: Right. So, w- what was your uh, what was your thought uh, process behind uh, you know jumping to a hundred k from say half marathon? <laughs> I, it
0: it's, it would make me sound as. Uh, uh, stupid as one can possibly sound. So I did it after the 10, when I graduated to the 21, I was like, essentially, I've doubled the 10 to 21. And it was an easy jump. So if I want to progress, and if it was too easy, I was like, it was not a challenge. So I was like, if I graduate, it it will probably be too easy if I just double this and go from a 21 to a 42. So I should probably look for something more realistic as a, as a challenge. And decided to go all the way to 100. I mean, I didn't know about a 75 or a, or a 50. I think back then, uh, I just come across a hundred. So I was like, and I actually also had come across a 24 hour race, but a 24 hour seemed a little too much. So I was like, okay, (laughs) a hundred seems, yeah, a hundred seems like a realistic jump to make. And I was naturally like awfully wrong with that, uh, thought process, but I I did the hundred. Yeah.
1: You, yeah. Uh, so how was that experience of the 100? I hated it. I
0: mean, <laughs> I I'd never run more than 50, 60 kilometers in training and I had no idea what to expect. I remember wanting to just give up during the 100 around the similar 50, 60 kilometer mark. I I hated it. I hated the next day after it. I hated, I, even though I finished it, I didn't like that experience. Uh, I d- decided I'm not going to do a 100 again. And yeah, I'm, I'm gonna to stick to like the tens and twenty ones and maybe forty two, but <laughs> right. it didn't happen that way. Like I started looking for more hundreds later on.
1: So w- w- which uh, which was this race? The Bangal-
0: uh, Bangalore Ultra.
1: The Bangalore Ultra. Yeah. Okay. The um, so where was uh, where was it happening at that time? Uh, I think Hennur. Hennur Forest. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So from then on, yeah, you went on to um, look for more hundreds, you said. So, uh, and did you just do more 100? I mean, uh, stick to more ultras? Or did you do also marathons and stuff?
0: I did them did a marathon like I think the, the Henud, the Bangalore Ultra got over I think in November, that year, and I did the Mumbai marathon in Jan, the next year. So like, two, three months later, and then I did uh, the midnight marathon. I think that used to happen in Whitefield. I don't know if it still happens, but I did that one year. I think. But then I also didn't just like run that midnight marathon. I remember like so. I used to live in Shantinagar in college. So I I think I ran down to Whitefield first, ran that, and then ran back. I think. <laughs> wow. So, yeah.
1: So made it an ultra. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> so I did that. I and then I think I did Mumbai marathon probably once or twice more, maybe. And that's the end of the marathons pretty much. Okay. Uh, I probably did a few more halves over the years. I can't remember though because this is all before two thousand fifteen, sixteen. 16 mm-hmm. I did a few more halves, I did a few more tens. Um I did a few five kilometre races here and there. Uh but yeah. So what
1: uh you said after about two two thousand fifteen you basically moved into the ultra space? Is that the fair understanding? Um,
0: I was already doing I was doing ultras even before I did pretty much a 100 every year. After the Bangalore ultra I did one in 13, 14, 15 as well. But post 15, I essentially started focusing more on the trail running side of things and not and that I eventually shifted to Manali and kept focusing on the trail running and the mountaineering side of things. And uh, actually, not mountaineering but trail running side of things back then. So, I didn't travel as much outside Manali for the racing. And yeah.
1: So that how did that? Uh, say you were uh, at this point of time you were working. Uh, you uh, graduated and you started working. Is my understanding mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then you, uh, you were moved to Manali. Basically, meant uh, you know you uh I, you know decided to take a break uh, mm-hmm. from working and f- focus more on running right, right? essentially yeah. essentially so what what was the thought process behind that what what were the events that yeah. led to that uh, decision
0: yeah actually yeah so uh it was sort of an easy thought to have but it took me a few months to actually execute it uh so I first decided I wanted to like do running full time back in 2000. I think 12 or 13. I remember telling my dad, I want to drop out of college to do this. And that didn't happen. He was not uh, gonna accept that. So I had to finish that and everything. And then I started working and the so the the thought process that I essentially had was do I want to be I was what 20, 20, 21 or something back then. So I had essentially asked myself, do you want to get into the running side of things full time when you're in your 40s and 50s, when you have earned enough money, you're comfortably fi- comfortable financially and you know then you, do you want to get into it or would you rather you get into it now and uh, doesn't matter what happens, you won't regret it. Uh, so those, I sort of had that thought process for a few months and it was easy because, I mean, I knew I wanted to get into the running side of things right away. I didn't want to wait for the kind of stuff I wanted to, to do, uh, needed time and needed years. And I don't want, I wouldn't have that time when I, to do all these things once I was in my forties or fifties, uh, the kind of stuff I wanted to, to do. So I was like, it's an easy decision to get into this full time now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just got into so it. So
1: it, it was like, so from, uh, around that time you were doing, uh, rather well, uh, in the uh, runs and the races, you were uh, winning. Was that also uh, a factor? That, oh, yeah. yeah,
0: for sure. I mean, the fact that I was uh, doing decent, I wouldn't say well, but for I was I was doing decent. Uh, I mean, I was winning racing and all that. But uh, the fact that I it helped for sure to right. to give me the confidence that I could take this somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that I could be way better at this if I committed more time and effort to it.
1: So did it, uh, uh, did the, uh, did economics factor in, in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, we don't see many people actually making a living out of, you know, running, right? Running or cycling for that matter. So, uh, I mean, what were, uh, what were your, uh, you know, uh, calculations in terms of that, you know, sustaining yourself, making yeah. a li- living out of your, yeah. you know, for yourself and stuff like that.
0: I mean, honestly, that's been the harder part and not the decision of running and running. The making a living out of it has been the harder thing to crack. Uh, but when I was deciding to do this full time, I wasn't, I was aware that I would not make any money. And but i had to figure out how to make money and how to make this sustainable and i was also willing to put get into the grind of it and suck it up and work and work at not just running but also figuring out how to solve that problem of the financial side of things and i mean i just cut down on costs i lived i, I didn't have i didn't pay for rent for a year because i didn't have a home i lived on the floor i lived out of a bag everything i owned fit into one one tuffle big bag and one backpack um i didn't pay rent because i just had a corner in in a house somewhere and i just lived in in that corner essentially um i moved to manali lived as dirt cheap as possible the first year i was in manali i didn't have i just had a blanket for the winters. i didn't have a heater in my room i didn't have anything warm just had a blanket wow. uh i didn't have warm clothes that year because i'd never been in such cold so i didn't have like down jackets or anything of that sort. I just wore like multiple layers. And uh, I think I had like one long pant that was given by a friend before I shifted to Manali. Uh, Other than that one long pant, I had no other long pants for the winters. I had my shorts and I used to just be in that and I should just layer up multiple layers and I just saved up uh, everything that I could possibly save up to race. Um, And yeah, lived on basic dal chawal kind of food, cooked just that. Um, kept the expenses as low as I possibly could. And yeah, just did that.
1: That was the outgoing part of the expenses. Yeah. But what were the incoming though?
0: Oh, I don't even remember. I think back then there was no incoming. Like I saved up money before I did this full time. Um, essentially, that was the most incoming, the savings uh, that I had a little bit. Um, savings from the, you work, know, the work that work I was doing, you were doing. and I had yeah. just come out of college so I was lucky like um, for birthdays family would give money like you know you get like 3000 rupees for someone who give for uh, has a happy birthday in the family or someone who would give and I would collect generally had collected a lot of all that as well so I had some of that savings and just saved up money generally from everything I possibly could all the time and I think this was again 16 So I ended up getting at that time, luckily getting associated with Baloney after about one or two years. So that brought in some money, that association. And then I could make say bigger savings, essentially, Uh, and where I could barely do one race. I was trying to do two races in a year then. So still living the same way, essentially, but going for more racing as well.
1: Right. So living frugally and uh, basically pursuing something, uh, you know, that you were passionate about, right? So what, what was driving that passion, uh, you know, uh, at that point of time?
0: I mean, it's the same thing now. I just love doing that. I mean, I love being out there in the mountains, outdoors, doing some activity every single day. Um... Yeah, I just love that. I mean, yeah, there's nothing there, much more to that.
1: Yeah, Were there any, uh, you know, any uh, moments where you uh, wished that, you know, you pursued some, you know, something of a uh, normal, uh, yeah. you know, you know, That's livelihood.
0: What I've, I've had a lot of these, the same discussions in my own head over the years, yeah. and I've never once regretted doing this full time I have never once felt I wish I was doing a regular job I have had hard like it's pretty much hard all the time it, half the things that almost everything I want to do like if I'm able to pull off one thing in the year that means I was trying to actually pull off four five other things and nothing worked out and that's the last thing that worked out so it still happens that way and half my year goes into just like like I plan for three four things for the year and only one thing gets executed so it's still that way uh but yeah, I mean, I half half the time I don't know where I'm going to get rent from next month. But till now, not a single day goes where I feel like I wish I was doing uh, a regular job and had like regular money coming in every month.
1: Right. So It, it sounds like uh, you know you the life itself uh, in, that you are leading is an ultra. Like, yeah. You know Yeah. Right? It's like
0: today was a great day. Tomorrow is going to be a downer and. It's gonna be the same, it's it's the same thing. I mean, there's, yeah, it's the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, it's like a race. Right. So um, t-
1: 2015, 16 uh, seems to be a really uh, good period for you, if I, you know, if w- what, from what I, uh, you know, uh, understood from you, uh, from your journey. You have done um, uh, a course record at La Ultra in uh, the 111-kilometer yeah. yeah. race. Uh, was that in 2015? I think there was uh, 16. 15. Yeah. I think 15. Right. Yeah. And then you you were the first guy to finish uh, the 246-kilometer uh, The uh, yeah. you know, uh, in 33 hours in 2016 September. Yeah. Right. And you were the... You finished the UTMB race second in your age category. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Those are some of the most iconic races in uh, the ultra world, right? Yep. 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 That that is some resume, man. It's like...
0: (laughs) I mean... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's over with, it happened some time back. And now it's you moving on to make new things always. right, but, right,
1: yeah. right. No, I mean, that, uh, that is there, you know, once it is done, it is done. It's done. It's, yeah, it's in your, uh, it's in your, the past, it's in mm-hmm, the past. Yes. Well, you know, what's ahead is uh, what's, what's important. Ahead. Yeah. But you, you always seem to be like, you know, uh, very aptly, like you said, you, you know, moving on to the next uh, big thing, you yeah. know, w- w- what's the next big thing uh, is always in your mind. Yeah. So, but let's, you know, go back uh, a little bit and talk about that period uh, where you were doing a lot of these um, uh, races outside in the Europe, right? What was that experience like?
0: Oh, I mean, it's I mean really good in the, to put it simply, right? Like. the racing scene is nothing like what we have in India. It's uh, years ahead of of it, right? The quality of racing, the quality of events, the quality of experience, everything is just on a whole different scale. And that was the idea with going to race in Europe and CCC and all the big big races because the competition is in Europe. Uh, It's not here in India. So I never got into doing running full time with the aim of, trying to be the best in India or something. The idea was to be competitive on a global level. And, um, I just chase that essentially. I'm still chasing that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, but, um, see w- w- what, were, out of all those races that you have done in Europe, uh, like, what was, uh, the most memorable and, and, uh, mm. most, uh, I think toughest.
0: That's a hard thing to answer the toughest thing, because I, once it's in the hindsight, it's in the rearview mirror and yeah, you, you, you forget about it. Um, generally it's the races that have gone by are not the tough ones because I'm done with it. The tough ones are usually the ones that are coming up because I know if I'm doing a race six months from now, I have to also do six months of preparation every single day. And the painful times are in the moment, in the every single day kind of on repetition and not in the race mostly. So the races are tough, but uh, what's done is it's all in, the hi- in hindsight, uh, but memorable. I have to really put, I mean, Sparathlon definitely up there because not because of the fact that I finished it, but the whole emotional roller coaster experience that I went through during the race to pull it off. It was not a straightforward race it, I, I ran well. Then I ran really hard, really bad. I was in a lot of pain. I hurt my legs and then I was barely running but then I still finished. So that whole experience of going through the, the whole process over 33 hours was what was very, I still feel one of the most satisfying races I've, I've run. Uh, I enjoyed the fact that I went through a whole range of emotions and experiences to get to the finish line. Whereas most races, you don't always have that many races, I feel like I finished a race feeling I could have done more. Sparathron was definitely one of the races right up there where I, where I felt like I did everything I could. So that was very satisfying
1: All for right. sure. So I, um, I um, read or heard uh, you saying that, you know, the last part of the race is never physical. Yeah. Uh, can you elaborate on that?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like, you can prepare as much as you want. But if you're running a good race and if you're running, I mean, not in terms of time, but a good race in terms of doing justice to the effort you're putting, if you're putting an honest hard effort, then usually you are just constantly depleting and you're also constantly getting past just the physical stages into them into those stages where you got to dig in mentally and keep pushing to continue to sustain that and then essentially it means that I mean, but if you go and run like a chilled out relaxed race and then it won't necessarily be the same thing but if you go and put put in an honest effort in terms of uh, how you're running and you want to leave yourself out there then you go through that i think the the where you know you start off the race f- just based off your fitness but then to sustain that pace and sustain that effort you have to get more in dig in more with mentally, uh, and of course, the fitness will help that. But you got to also keep digging in. It doesn't matter how fit and how fast you are, because eventually, you, if you're putting an honest effort, uh, everyone, however good you are, you have to get into that. Otherwise, you've pretty much done like a half, like half a job. Otherwise,
1: right. You you haven't pushed yourself hard enough yeah. in a way. Yeah. Right. So, uh, I heard something similar uh, to what you were saying uh, from uh, uh, Courtney Dewalter. Okay. And (laughs) like, uh, you know, she she talks about, uh, you know, being, getting to her pain cave Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, saying, oh... This is wa- what I have worked for to get to my pain. Exactly. And then continue digging from there. Exactly. You make it bigger. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Right.
0: I mean, you don't want to have an easy race out there, or you don't want because at least I like to feel when I've finished a race that I've put in my hundred percent effort. Uh, and just that's why just winning a race is not always as satisfying because it, you could sometimes win a race without much effort, depending on competition. But you can also sometimes, like, you know, you can sometimes be the hundredth person and you have put in all uh, the effort you possibly can. And mostly, at least for me, I feel that has been more rewarding.
1: Right, right. So something like, uh, you know, the Spartathon, that 246 kilometers race, I would think would, you know, get uh, most people (laughs) to those uh, places. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, but it's also like, once you get used to something. You get used to it and then you got to figure how to make it harder. Right.
1: So, you seem to have, you know, you have done all these kind of races. You've uh, been on podiums here and outdo- uh, you know outside India. And you've, uh, how did this, um, you know, how do you uh, move from there, trail running to mountain climbing and stuff like that?
0: That was always the larger goal. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, it just happened later on. And I did the running bit first. But essentially, the kind of things I'm doing in the mountain that was always the the larger goal. I mean, I tried to I think this was in 2014, when I first went for La Ultra. It's I back then I remember thinking about trying to do a speed ascend on Stoke Kangri. And then I thought of a Speed Ascend later on on Stoke Country as well. And then I thought one on Friendship as well. But eventually I actually executed the idea of a speed attempt in 2020. So it took me like six years to just go from thinking about it to actually executing it. So, I mean, and be, even before thinking about it in 2014, I still had ideas and goals that were mountaineering related. It's just that it's happened much later in the timeline of things. Yeah. Right.
1: So, uh, why why is that? Did did it uh, uh, did it uh, did you plan it or did you have did it happen organically? How, mm, how did it? I would say it's a pass? mix
0: of mix of many things, and uh, one of it would just start off with the uh, country we live in. Uh, we don't have things as easily accessible, whether it's uh, support or information or ink equipment or anything. Uh, Especially for these kind of things, so it one big reason for things to take longer than what I would want is mainly this: uh, not having the right support to do these kind of things. Um, but it's it's also like I had to choose because of that. I had to also choose: should I? What do I do? And running was more of a um, an easier thing to an easier activity to sort of focus on compared to the mountaineering thing, which was harder because everything is even, equipment is harder and the learning process is harder, the access to the the sport and the activity is harder. And yeah, whereas running is something I can do anywhere and everywhere. I was doing it in Bangalore, I I can do it everywhere.
1: Yeah. Right. So how how did, um... You know, f- uh, you finally get into it. Did you do the mountaineering course and stuff like that? So I, so I had
0: done a mountaineering course back in 2009. And even before I was running. Right. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Hmm. I, didn't, I did a course then. And then that's it. Yeah. Okay. But I got into it mostly thanks to COVID. I mean, race, I, didn't, I knew I was not going racing anywhere in 2020. And these projects were things I was waiting and waiting to do for many years. And I have the time now.
1: Right. Yeah. So there, yeah, you had, you have done uh, this. You know, basically, uh, in twenty twenty, you have done uh, 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 speed of, uh, friendship speed ascent of friendship peak, uh, which is two uh, five thousand two hundred eighty seven. Meters mm-hmm. in eleven hours forty five minutes and mm-hmm. fifty seconds, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So was that your first attempt at uh, That's this? That's the first, yeah. Right. First what, what was the experience like for uh,
0: there? Oh, I mean, I enjoyed it because one, I had never climbed a mountain of this sort before. I had done like trekking peaks and all that. Uh, even this is a trekking peak, but it's a little more extreme trekking peak. So I enjoyed the experience, and I I knew. So one thing is like, like you know, you dream about these things and you hope it'll be good and everything, uh, but it's even better when it turns out that for a fact that you actually enjoy it. Like I enjoyed being out there and climbing a mountain and doing it in my style. And uh, I love that process. It's uh, I enjoyed it as much as I enjoy the running and racing side of things. And uh, that's the reason why I want to do more and more of these. And now I'm at the place where I have to find out how, find, how to find the balance between both sports um but i enjoy it. i mean like yeah i want to do it, keep doing it so right yeah
1: so then the uh, i mean you enjoyed it so much that you know it, this is something for uh, you know people uh, people listening this is something that usually people take like 7 days or something like that to complete probably wasn't?
0: like uh, at least 4 days 4 days yeah. and stuff like that and they start mostly like i started in manali they st- also start in Manali, but by vehicle <laughs> and then go the first 25, 30 K on vehicle. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, uh, and uh, you have done uh, uh, peaks like dio do Tibba 6000 meters in 19 hours, and tri- yeah. triple trouble, uh, uh, which is like 100. 100- 10- so
0: triple trouble essentially was it's one of the first ideas I had even before I shifted Manali. And I wanted to connect two passes, uh, Hamta Pass and Rautang Pass, and I wanted to connect it from Manali. So essentially, essentially create a route, uh, uh, a round trip out of it, like a circuit. and start, So I started in Mall Road, ran up to Hamta Pass, ran across into Lahol on the other side, then ran to the base of Rautang, and then ran up Rautang Pass and back down to Manali. So that whole loop was about 126k.
1: Wow, so I,
0: triple travel, because it sort of roughly adds up as three back to back marathons. So right. triple travel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you did that in 18 hours, 58 yeah. minutes.
0: Yeah.
1: And it in at that elevation and uh, all that, uh, you know, altitude and elevation, that sounds really uh, <laughs> something that <laughs> did, did it put you on the edge? How did no, it go?
0: Not really, because I'm very comfortable with altitude nowadays because I spend a lot of time in and out of altitude and I'm constantly going up to 4,000 meters and higher as well. And so the altitude I was very relaxed with and uh, even the route generally, like other than the fact that I was running for long hours, I was, it was pretty comfortable and I did a few mistakes here and there. Like I, I missed out on one turn when I was coming down from Hamta Pass and essentially essentially didn't take the regular trekking route and the regular trekking route crosses the river, but I didn't cross the river and I ended up staying on the left, left bank. But that essentially led to a tricky rocky section that I had to cross. And after about eight, nine hours of running, crossing that section, which essentially, if you fall, you fall down into like the river where it's flowing down and you just get washed away and no one would know. Uh, That was a little like a tricky Thing to deal with, but also a good experience, because it gave it's, it gives me more confidence in my, my abilities, not physically, but mentally as well, uh, to be able to, you know, reel in how I'm feeling and how I'm reacting to situations and um, how to deal with situations. And, yeah.
1: Can you expand a little bit on that the mental uh, aspect of uh, things? Uh, you yeah. know, how how you
0: deal with it? I mean, it's simple, right? Like you're, if you're stuck on the side of a cliff and you know, you're going to fall down and it's a very steep section and you are in the wrong gear, you're tired, your legs are paining, your mind is slow. It's sort of dark because it's before sunrise. So, and you still have your head torch on. So it's, you have two reactions to it, essentially, right? One is you either freak out and you you lose control of yourself, or you sort of like reel it in and just control yourself and the situation better, and deal with it every like literally one step at a time. So it's a choice essentially what you make. And yeah, just made a choice.
1: <laughs> Man, you make the make all these sound really simple. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah,
0: I, mean, I I I don't know, like uh, <laughs> <yeah. Right. laughs>
1: So from uh, from there, you uh, you thought of uh, thought up another uh, big project, which is 10 peaks uh, over all over six 6,000 uh, 6, meters. Uh, and you wanted to do them in like 30 days. Mm-hmm. So what you know, how did this project come about? What was the thought process behind that?
0: So it was sort of simple, because, you know, to do one mountain when I was doing something like Friendship, uh, Friendship and Deo There's a lot of work and months of work that would go into just executing one mountain. So at some point after Dirtaba, I felt that, what if I put all the work, but get to do more mountains and have instead of living that experience once on one mountain, maybe I'll get to go through that experience and live it on multiple times in a shorter time, shorter duration. And yeah, so essentially that led to the idea of trying to do more uh, peaks in a shorter duration
1: so was the uh, was the effort that uh, you know that is needed to that was needed to execute this and the single peaks that you attempted uh, before comparable in terms of the uh... effort
0: in the build up was mm. the same okay. because like i mentioned earlier all the effort doesn't go the easiest part is the training and the preparation all the effort actually goes into trying to raise to trying to raise support and that effort was the same, uh, that was not very different. Right. And can you expand a little bit about that? What,
1: what is involved in terms of uh, preparation for that? You know, not in terms of training, but, you know, in terms of logistics and, uh, you know, the support that you needed. To yeah,
0: manage. I mean, the logistics is what is more complicated than actually the logistics of the whole project compared to just the actual activity of it. The logistics, like just to be in a, for starters, for the 10 peaks, there's no information available about this region, uh, from mountaineering, uh, what perspective, like what peaks exist and how climbable and what the routes are, there's no information. So the trust trying to understand that was a challenge itself. And then there's no network in that area. So once I got to kurzok whatever what mountains I wanted to climb was all was basically it's only uh, dependent on the planning I did before coming when I had network once I got there I had to just make sure that I've right marked the right peaks those peaks actually exist on ground and those are not just like a faulty map and those are actually above 6000 as well so naturally like I I had had to make all these plannings days before I even got to Karzok and because one, I couldn't change anything once I got to Karzok in terms of what I wanted to climb. And and then there's no information about where, it is, where do you set up camp for a particular peak. There's only information mostly for Mentok 2. But other than that, there's no proper information about what's the route for any of the mountains and where do you set it up and where do you set up campsites. How do you get to the campsites? Many peaks you can't see. So how do you get what's the route to get to the base of the peak or any of that? There's no real information available uh, easily. and yeah like even in the style we're doing things, it's like if I had to go the regular way to climb mentok they would take folks to take me on a different place where they set up regular base camp and then camp two or camp one or whatever. and but for me I was I had to skip that and get as high as possible so figure out water sources, figuring out the right spot to camp camping there for a few days so that I could climb as much as possible. All of that is the uh, itself is like uh, planning and logistics before you get there because once you're there, there's no network and there's limited access to information. Uh, then you have the whole safety side of things. If anything goes wrong, there's no help and no rescue. So there's no communication with the outside. Well, there's no communication with the team. So how do you have some kind of planning still going on. Um, simple thing in Korzok was getting fuel. Fuel was a problem because you don't have anywhere you can fill fuel. You have to fill in bottles and keep for the vehicles. Like one day I went to climb a peak. We didn't have fuel in the in the, in the for the bike and the peak. Just to get to the the road section was about 15-20 kilometers long, and then we had to come back and we didn't have fuel for the bike. And then we went to buy fuel in the shops which is sold at like like 100 like 20 rupees more than what you get what's regular price and as it is fuel is so expensive right now so we were buying in there last year we were buying fuel for like like petrol for about 115 120 a liter wow. i kind of but then we didn't even have fuel that day in the in the village so then we had no fuel and that whole planning for that day went kaput because we couldn't go and climb so right. essentially, like all of these things and then food because food doesn't grow there. So food is brought from lay. So it's limited what food you get and what food we could cook and coordinating how to bring that food. And then we were not just me, we were like mud, more people. So food for everyone. Yeah. So how how many people were at that time? It was, a, it was, a, it mostly changed, but we were mostly about four people. Uh in between that some point there were twenty people, but there was mostly averaged about four people. Right. Uh at some point we had like because like Ronnie and Parthi and uh uh Tanya and Prakriti and all these people had come and uh it added up that time. So we ended up being around twenty at some point. But otherwise we were about four. Mostly. Right.
1: So this journey of 26 uh, days that you completed these 10 peaks in what were the m- most, uh, you know, memorable and challenging uh, days? you?
0: So one of the big things I wanted to experience with the project was not just climbing a peak, but also being in an area and experiencing the area well. So I think one of the most more memorable things would be just living in Korsok for such a long duration, everyone becoming friends, everyone becoming like, who are these weird guys just like sitting here and climbing mountains all the time, the local aunties and who are feeding us momos in the shops every other day. So getting invited for the, the Lai Lama's birthday when they were having it in one of the near one of the lakes and all of that. And then all of that was very memorable and very, like, I'm glad I got to experience that.
1: Uh Yeah, so uh, was this, you know, you were, uh, you know, uh, staying in one place, Karzok, and then doing the peaks uh, so around there? Essentially,
0: we had a, we took a place up in Karzok, so that that was like, sort of base camp. And then whenever we would go to climb, we would go and set up another camp out of, out of tents on the mountain. Because some peaks I went where I we would, we would set up camp for three, four days, and then I would climb four or five peaks and then come back. And then we would go to some places from Korzok, take a vehicle to a, to a roadhead, climb one, two peaks and come back. So we wouldn't have to camp. So they were both. So we mostly stayed out of Korzok And then depending on, not everyone on the team would always come up to base camp. So if we were four people, two people would probably go ahead someday. And then we would set up camp there. And then some of the guys who were shooting it would come one, two days later or yeah. Nice. So wh- what
1: was... They, uh, you know, you have done uh, all these speed uh, uh, sense, uh, the kind of uh, FKT uh, kind of uh, yeah. things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, fastest known time kind of uh, thing, and you have se- you're also setting up, uh, you know, uh, challenges that did not exist before. You know, new challenges like uh, ten peaks in uh, as fast as you can and stuff so what what you know where did where is this going from here
0: i mean there are enough goals to keep me busy for the next decade um i mean i was working at uh, trying to do a speed ascent on trishul this year earlier and now i'm going to work again at that for next summer um yeah i'm trying to do a run on the charter trek in june Jul in sorry in jan later this next year so generally there are enough projects and enough racing goals that i have uh, to keep me busy for the next decade but the idea with all of these things was always and, and it began that way the idea was to bring about a change culturally bring about a change from a community perspective the idea always that was the core of it because the reason i'm doing a lot of the projects in india on indian mountains in in areas here because i always felt I wanted more and more cool, exciting things to happen in the outdoors that that we have access to. Uh, we could, we can keep going everywhere in the world and keep doing it. But the idea is to have, have do more things and uh, do more things here because we have things accessible. So many places, exactly. Yeah. So, and I'm hope I hope you know these projects inspire people. They don't need to do the same thing, but hopefully they get uh, they get inspired to do their own things in their own spaces and find cool things to do for themselves, because we have access to wild places of all sorts, right, from the oceans, to rivers, to deserts, to mountains. And um, so we have a big play- playground with with where a lot of different things can happen. Uh, I'm just choosing to do these things in these spaces because uh, I have to, if I wish I didn't have to choose all the time, but I have to. So I'm doing it. But the idea is to hopefully uh, get the word out there, encourage uh, more people who have just been hoping to do things, maybe to do stuff. And for people who have the the time, money, resources to go all over the world to do things, keep doing it, but also find that uh, also explore places that we can do things within our country as well. And I mean, go anywhere and everywhere in the world and do stuff, but also do stuff here, that kind of yeah. thing. And because for me, I was, I always felt that I keep reading about some really interesting things that people are doing in the country. Um, but a lot of them, a lot of these, uh, the interesting things I was reading about were by people who were from outside India, especially in the last recent years, I've not I wouldn't go back uh, 30 40 years back, but more in the last recent more more recent years. So not, I never felt that as many exciting things were happening in our country. And I was one hoping we can change that in some way. And yeah, we hopefully, we can do more and more, and people can keep doing more and more interesting things. Right. And I'm seeing that. I get to see every now and then some folks picking up something really cool and right. pulling it off, or even not pulling it off. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. like going out and doing it. That's yeah. what's cool. Attempting it. Yeah, it's just like getting out and like, and thinking up exciting ideas is what's the exciting thing. It doesn't matter if it happens or not. It's like the fact that you could imagine it and you could figure out a way to get to it and make the first attempt at it. Oh, that's so good. It doesn't matter if it happens, or it doesn't happen or all that. That's all like secondary. But hopefully more and more people just keep doing these things. And yeah, because we have so much potential in this place.
1: Right. Definitely. I, I think, I mean, nowadays I see a lot more, uh, you know, uh, events and stuff uh, that are happening in the ultra space as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, the law ultra and all these have been in 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 uh, for, a, bit, for yeah. a for a while right and uh, i think more and more uh, uh, things are also coming like back backyard ultras are yeah. coming up and stuff like that yeah. which is great to see uh, yeah. and uh, you know and uh, you know the ultra space in general is i think uh, you know slowly picking up
0: yeah yeah it's picking up slowly for many years, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he, the trail he, running and everything,
1: yeah, it's, it's been like that. too. it's been picking
0: and... it up slowly, slowly, slowly for many years, but mm. many things are many things that are related to it are not picking up as well. And, um, uh, yeah, I just hope it picks up sooner. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, now you are com- coming to your ultra journey, and uh, you know, uh, you have been, uh, at, uh, you know, you have represented um, uh, India at trail world championships uh in 2017 18 and 19 right yeah. so how how was the experience uh, there
0: i mean yeah like i mean i know folks hear this enough but uh getting the opportunity to actually represent your country is it's one of the coolest things that can that someone can experience for sure like um you we don't get to do this and till 2017 we didn't have that opportunity as well and the fact that now it's accessible to a lot of people it's pretty exciting and the fact that i had access to it and have been able to have access to it is i mean it's pretty awesome and i'm i'm going for the trail champs next week as well and Right. Yeah, you, very excited for yeah
1: it. you're here in Bangalore, uh, as of, you know, uh, to take the flight there. Stop over to fly Thailand, to the yeah. Thailand, right? Yeah. So, Essentially, yeah, all the best for that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, let's, uh, you know, talk a little bit more about uh, that, right? Um, So, what kind of, in 2018, as I understood, uh, you finished 98th uh, at the World Championships. Mm -hmm. So, how, how, uh, and before that, there has never been a top 100 results. So, do you think that is going to change uh, now?
0: I mean, the least you can always expect is that we constantly progress. And if we are progressing, even if we are progressing slow, it's still progress. Um, But honestly, it's like you asking, you're asking, you're you're competing against the best people in the world. And we come from different places. And we have different start lines to even get here, uh, different things that are accessible, different kind of, uh, yeah, it's very different. So without the right support to eventually competitive it is very hard and that is what's even though i've been working at this for a few years now it's still very hard to be able to to do that because it most of the energies go into figuring out the right support to get something done and it's not necessary and not just the right support to get to it like just to get to a race and we don't like i don't get to race as much as i would want to or how much most people get to actually race in a year I get to maybe do one race or two races in a year and even to get those one two races is extremely hard to get that happening so i i mean as long as at the moment without the right support if we can just progress even if it's slow progress it can't ask for more than that because it's hard to get onto the highest level stages without any kind of support i mean i get the right gear is still hard in India so right. yeah Yeah. forget about like the racing support or um financial support or anything like you can't get the right pair of shoes if you want to even get to the right place so, right. It, it's, yeah. so
1: definitely they uh like you said the all the all the people uh, uh in a sense have different starting points and you know different starting lines like you uh yeah. you put it right so the, the Uh, For starters, a lot of these countries uh, have, uh, you know, trail running and ultra running uh, culture for a long, long time. And the field is so vast and so talented. I I mean, it's basically uh, if when you have access, to, if when you have the culture and when you have access to the races and stuff, you automatically uh, it's can going progress, to a little progress faster, and, faster yeah. right? The yeah.
0: learning curve can re- reduce, right? Yeah,
1: so that is what that, it's all. I mean, uh, the results are a factor of a lot more things, a lot more things than, than just one current, yeah, current. Like one thing. Just like I have,
0: I have trained for races and not even gotten to the start line of right. races just because you couldn't, I couldn't leave the country. So yeah. it's happened enough as well over the years. So it's just, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what, of, what is the preparation for, a you know, a world championship, a trail world championships look like?
0: So I say only recently got myself a coach and yeah. So now honestly, I'm just relying and trusting. And the preparation essentially, at the moment, the last two months, we've changed it up a little bit compared to what I would I would have done a lot more focused on uh, building muscular endurance and strength and everything. Uh, Yeah, so it's not necessarily the same kind of training that I would have done if I was doing it myself. Uh, but that's why I got a
1: coach, so yeah. right. So how did, it, you know, you have been in the running uh, uh, journey for a long time, for years, uh, you know, more than, more than a decade now, right? And uh, you have been doing it, uh, you were on your own, and now you uh, got a coach. How did it change from when you were, uh, you know, doing it on your own and now? Uh, what do you
0: mean, you mean, how it changed
1: or why it ha- changed? How it changed. Uh, um, in terms of uh, what were what were the key changes from what you were doing to now
0: so honestly i've started working with scott only recently mm-hmm. uh, it's been about two months okay yeah
1: it's, very, it's a little very, bit, early, yeah, stages very of, early stages yeah, yeah. to talk about it yeah. but uh, uh so in that case let's talk a little bit about you know how you would uh, prepare for the uh, areas how how would how is your typical training uh, cycle so like?
0: Typically, I would have just done a little more mileage in things. I would have done a little more tempo runs, a little more harder runs, more elevation. Um, yeah, I would have changed it up. I would have done something different that way. But uh, I mean, I also have to accept the fact that that was not, would not have been the most, um, the most long term right direction to take with the with just doing that. Mm -hmm. The idea with working with Scott is to have a more uh, bigger picture view to the whole process and work on things not for this one race, but even for races next year, and build things, you have to build a strong base, so strong foundation. So work on all of those things. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying like working with the coach and it's right. pretty yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah. So, uh, what, what does your typical, uh, you know, weekly mileage look like?
0: That also has changed so much. So right. the two, three weeks before I started, um, working with Scott, I was doing about 140 yeah. kilometer weeks. And then I, since I've been working with Scott, I don't think we've crossed 80.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's a big change. Big change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So you, you were big mileage person in i Denver. like
0: i like running and i'm yeah. I, I think i'll we'll, we might mm. get to that later stages but uh mm. not at, for, at the moment and i don't know if i'm big mileage but just generally like comfortable with the 130 to 150 kilometer week range right. and yeah
1: right. and six days a week or seven six weeks? days a week yeah
0: right. i like uh, that way i'm lazy i like a one day off where i like to just relax and do it something other than, yeah. yeah i mean I know it's needed as well, but right. I also like to have that. <laughs> right, yeah, right. I look forward to it right. <laughs> every week.
1: Yeah. So, in terms of nutrition, you know, how does your uh, you know uh, general nutrition look like for running and?
0: You know, in so, I cook a lot of the own food uh, that I eat. Um, generally, it's trying to find a balance between all the macros. So nothing is, I don't want to prefer one thing over the other. Um, And a lot of variety to the food. So if I wouldn't, if I'm doing chicken, I just wouldn't do a lot of chicken all the time. I would also add like, just for protein, I would also try to add variety and from where I'm getting your protein, right? Uh, Even if it's if it's fats and like, olive oils and nuts and everything in my food, it's you play around with all of it. So I like to play around with things as much as I can with all my meals. Um, mostly I do three meals, but I do a lot of snacks in between. <laughs> so three major meals, but multiple snacks in between.
1: What yeah. does those snacks look like?
0: It could be anything. Yeah. It could be a lot of fruits. It could be a lot of nuts. It could be a lot of granola. Sometimes it could be, it could be just a meal, which is a smaller thing. Uh, it, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The snacks are mostly, sometimes it could be just be junk. Like I. I could just like rip open a packet of Doritos or something and uh, <laughs> I know what flavors I like just like have a packet of that sometimes
1: yeah. Right. calories. Yeah.
0: I mean, sometimes just like, I, if I'm thinking about food for like, seven days a week, and I'm thinking about it every meal, I don't mind if I can switch it off for a few, few pieces of junk here and there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah.
1: So uh, how does your, you know, Reno- on the run say if you are going for a long uh, run like 30 40 in the trails and stuff like that right so how how how, how does your nutrition on the run nutrition so look like that in
0: better? training it's different in racing is different in training a lot of it is i don't eat too much so about f- up to four hour runs i can probably almost do without any eating and drinking maybe um but then Around up to four hours four hour runs yeah. runs at least and then but at least like around three and a half hours maybe I'll I'll have like half a bar or something but anything less than three hours in three hours I don't really eat and drink anything and yeah so up to that kind of at least for the kind of running I've been doing lately I am not eating and drinking too much but in racing I change it up and I do re- rely on sports nutrition so gels and drink mixes and bars and everything so i changed it up for racing for sure and have a calorie game game plan and everything but for training not so much
1: yeah in racing uh, what kind of nutrition is typically what do you use? so
0: like for this year mostly i've been doing i've not done too many long races they've been not more than like a three to four hour run so i end up doing just a few gels for for, a, for that distance, because it's a short distance, you, I don't need to necessarily have calorie dense foods and gels are, I mean, calorie like, like dense foods, I can have light things like gels, and four to five gels are mostly enough. Yeah,
1: yeah but for, uh, you know, things like uh, these 10 peaks or uh, FKT kind very different,
0: of different. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, even FKDs is different, like hmm. the friendship, Deutiba was different, 10 peaks is different, because that's over one month. And mostly on, mostly when I'm climbing a mountain, I don't keep too much. I don't drink too much. So like I don't take more than a like 500 ml bottle of water when I'm climbing a mountain. And even if I'm out for like the whole day, I just take a 500 ml bottle of water and then a few couple of bars, maybe some gels for backup. And that's it mostly. Wow. Uh, not more, more than that. So like I, like when I did Deotibba, I probably did um few gels few bars and i think i had like some soup at base camp on the way down some tea or soup while i was going up at base camp and some cheese cubes uh yeah for the whole whole 19 19 hours hours. 38
1: minutes yeah yeah Wow. i would have maybe you know needed something like a full buffet of (laughs) these things Uh, but
0: (laughs) no i mean it, it's like you can afford to do it. Most people, I guess, could if you, if you plan for it and train mm-hmm.
1: for it. Yeah. It's also, uh, I think you it's also for the body to not uh, having to process a lot of things uh, yeah. at that time. right? And
0: also it's altitude. Things mm-hmm. get harder at altitude. Right. If you're moving and consuming. So, and also it a lot of it just comes down to understanding your own, how you're functioning right. and what you need. And yeah. that helps a lot. Right. So it's intentional not eating those things. It's not. It's not just accident or something. It's, I know that I can deal with it, right. and I can manage. Like when I was doing the Ten Peaks one, the Ten Peaks project, I would mostly eat something when I left the base camp in the morning. I would just take like one bar or two bars, maybe two bars, maybe five hundred mL water, and that's it for the whole day of climbing. And mm-hmm. then come back and have a big meal. So yeah.
1: Right. Right. So, I mean, uh, all the best for uh, your uh, the World Champs uh, that next week. Mm -hmm. I I think by the time you are back, um, maybe this will go out maybe in uh, three four weeks. But uh, you know, uh, by that time you would have. uh completed mm, that. the whole champs and come <laughs> yeah. back yeah, <laughs> yeah preparing
0: for the, my next race
1: by then yeah yeah nice but um, yeah uh, all the very best uh, it's it's been uh you know quite some time taking but uh, hopefully the next time you are in bangalore we'll uh, sit down again yeah. and uh, talk about more yeah um and uh, I mean, I think uh, we did not cover uh, even the surface of what you have done, <laughs> but uh, I I would like to really dig deep and uh, go go there uh, next time. But um, thanks for taking the time. No, and, uh, I appreciate it. And
0: we've been trying to coordinate this for a long time. And thank you for pa- your patience in, in you know, uh, trying to have me over as well and and his patience has, I think, spread across the last one, one and a half years now. So I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry for the fact that it's taken us this long, but I'm glad we've finally been able to make it happen. And no, yeah. thank you so much. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I, I hope this is the first of many uh, <laughs> yeah. such conversations. For uh, sure.
0: And I wanted to ask you when we came in and before the podcast, but uh, do you have T-shirts? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool show. That's why. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Definitely. I'll, I'll get you one. <laughs> uh, thanks again <laughs> for Appreciate time. it. Thank yeah. you. That was my conversation with Kiran. I hope you enjoyed that. If you are enjoying these podcasts and are finding them useful, please consider supporting the channel by subscribing to the channel on YouTube as well as on your favorite podcasting app. It really helps. Thanks again for your continuous support. See you next week with another guest.